Hey guys, it's Future Ben here. Made a couple of mistakes on the podcast episode that I'm correcting now, which is unusual because typically the corrections come in the next episode, but I got our guest's alma mater wrong. My bad, that got corrected real time. Sorry about that. Also referred to the schedule that the ACC is moving to as the 335. It's the 355. Again, my mistake. And last and final, there will be another appearance from future Ben later in this episode when he reveals the guest picker's score and projected winner of the Duke-Georgia Tech game. So that will be future, future Ben, I guess. Anyway, thanks again for listening, and as always, go Duke. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Duke Football Coverage Podcast, brought to you as always by Bull City Coordinators. We are back for the first bonus episode of the season, and as I said on Twitter, we do not have a game recap of Duke finally getting an ACC win, and we also may not have a game preview of Duke taking on Georgia Tech because we have a guest appearing on the podcast for the first time. He is a reporter who has covered Duke athletics for the Durham Herald Sun and the Raleigh News Observer since 2010. If my research is correct, his Salukis recently had a victory against Northwestern, and he also previously covered the Carolina Panthers, New Orleans Saints, South Carolina Gamecocks, and the South Carolina General Assembly. Put simply, if you follow Duke Athletics, you know Steve Weissman. You can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Weissman NC and listen to his podcast with the landlord, Sheldon Williams, on the Believe Network. How are you, Steve? Ben, I'm doing well. I only have that was a fantastic introduction. I have one little one correction. Uh, I went to Illinois State, which is the Redbirds. Uh, Southern Illinois is the Salukis. They were fortunate enough to beat Northwestern a week after Duke softened up the Wildcats and beat them. So, um, yeah, they're one of our rival schools. So I went to Illinois State. We're a little further up in the state uh, than the SIU Salukis. But anyway, that that aside, it's, it's glad good to be with you. All right. Sorry <laughs> for getting that wrong. Now, uh, thanks for coming on. Before we get into Duke and, and the ACC, I want to ask you a little bit about uh, your work in South Carolina. When did you cover the General Assembly? I'm from South Carolina, so I'm curious, and this is my podcast, so I can ask whatever questions I want. Yeah, it's wide open. No, I covered them. This is it's been a while now, in, in like 97, 96, 97, those couple of years there. I was working for the Spartanburg Herald Journal at the time. Do you agree with the uh, well-known quote that South Carolina is too small for a republic, but too large for an insane asylum? <laughs> that is a perfect motto to have to follow for that state yes i used to come home and tell my wife a lot that uh the guys in the house would uh fire um rubber bands at each other some of the old guys sit in the back of the room and it was uh it was a wild time david beasley was the governor i don't know how far you want to get into this but uh um david wilkins was the speaker of the house at the time later to be uh, i think he was ambassador to canada or something like that under george bush anyway those are some of the people i uh i covered at the time so Nikki Haley was just a uh, state representative from Lexington. So there you have it. You were right there before Jim Hodges ran for office and got elected and uh, before all the craziness with the Appalachian Trail and all that sort of fun I stuff. Was, I was back in South Carolina when the Appalachian Trail thing happened, working at the state newspaper. I was, I was not covering news at the time. I was back in sports at that point. But I remember that very well, that, uh, that incident uh, on the quote, unquote Appalachian Trail. Well, he had made, uh, <laughs> Governor Sanford had made a lot of enemies who were ready to yeah. to get back at him for, you know, bringing the farm animals onto the uh, house uh, grounds, <laughs> the General Assembly grounds, but we're getting way far afield. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got into reporting and how you ended up in the Raleigh-Durham area. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it goes back to, I, I grew up in a small town in central Illinois. Um, and I was always, uh, you know, I had, uh, two brothers and a sister. We're a very sports-minded family. Um, made the trek to St. Louis quite a bit to see the Cardinals play. That was our our family team growing up and everything. Baseball Cardinals, of course. Um, and uh, I, I, I like to ride a little bit. I had a teacher at one point say, maybe you ought to think about this as a career or maybe a sports writer or whatever. 
and uh, kept that in the back of my mind. So I went to school at Illinois State, uh, studied journalism and mass communications, that kind of stuff. Um, so that's how I got into the business. I worked at the paper in, in Bloomington, Illinois, um, when I was in school. And then uh, when I graduated, a week after that event, after my graduation, I was covering a track meet for that paper. And it snowed on May the 17th, which is rare, but it does happen sometimes in the Midwest. And I said, it's time for me to live somewhere else. So I started looking for jobs in warmer climates. I came to North Carolina. Um, I worked in Hickory. I worked in Charlotte for a while. Uh, then, you know, uh, went to Spartanburg and covered the legislature for a little bit, covered the Panthers for them. Uh, and so uh, then to um, the Gulf Coast of Biloxi, Mississippi, where I covered the Saints for four years. That was Mike Ditka and all that uh, shenanigans with the wedding dress and Murky Williams. We can talk about that on a whole other podcast. But um, my wife, I met my wife. She was, she's from Charlotte. I met her while I was working in Charlotte. So we wanted to come back to the Carolinas. We came back to Columbia. Uh, and then uh, I was there about nine years. My wife got a job offer. She's a Duke graduate, uh, nursing school, nurse, nursing degree from Duke. And she got a job offer in the Triangle. So we came up here and I got a job at the Durham Herald Sun in 2010. Uh, and uh, here we go. I've been here ever since. And we've lived a lot of places and uh, we live in Cary. And we think this is one of the best this is where we, the best place we've lived so far. We really like Triangle a lot and uh, fortunate to get to cover um, lots of good things here at the Triangle on the sports front. To sidetrack a little bit, when were you covering the Panthers? Because there are a lot of people who listen to this who are Panthers fans, as am I, current situation notwithstanding. Um, so, yeah, my I had a good run. Um, the second season of the team in 96, I covered them for that whole season. And then in 97, I covered the first part of that year. And then I got hired, got the job in, in covering the Saints. So I switched back in the old, both in the NFC West at the time. I covered Panthers the first half of that year and took a job and went down to New Orleans. And so the second game that Saints and Panthers played that year, I was covering the Saints. It was very odd to be covering that game. But anyway, yeah. So uh, I was there for the for the run to the NFC Championship. Kerry Collins, uh, Bianca Batuka. Uh, salt and pepper, uh, you know, Lamar Lathan and Kevin Green, right? So, uh, that was some that was a fun times. That was uh, that was a real interesting start to that franchise, and it was great the way it got going. It was just too bad it didn't maintain. And uh, now, you know, they the Panthers haven't won a Super Bowl, but they've gotten to NFC championship games and they've been to the Super Bowl twice. They're a pretty good franchise, uh, current situation notwithstanding, but yeah. We won't dwell on that too much. One thing I want to ask you about, because I know you're doing the podcast with Sheldon Williams, and I want you to talk to us a little bit about that. But I'm just curious, with the proliferation of the sports, you know, I don't know if journalism is the right word, but I guess you could say people like me who just kind of do commentary on a sport that you may cover or a team that you may cover as a hobby. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just curious how that has impacted what you do and how it's inf impacted the uh, local newspaper and sports journalism business where you've got guys like SB Nation out there and things like that. Could you just comment on that a little bit, how it's changed what you do for a living? Sure. It's it, it's um, it's scattered competition. There's more competition for eyeballs and, and ears, right? Podcasts uh, for, pe for people to consume content. I mean, it used to be uh, the beat writer for the newspaper in town uh, was kind of the go-to, you know, there wasn't anybody else that, that was covering a team as much as that person, like even TV stations would send people, but they weren't at practice every day. They weren't, you know what I'm saying? The volume of the depth of coverage. And uh, we still think we, we do a good job of that, of course, but now there are more people out there doing that very same thing. And, and now, and, and as newspapers have, have shrunk and the, the industry has gone through some contraction. Some of that's been picked up by SB nation. You mentioned uh, a lot of the websites, things like that. Um, uh, the podcasting sphere alone is just, you know, exploded in the last uh, what, five, six years here. Uh, even a guy like me has a podcast. So <laughs> that tells you um, uh, how it's grown, but, but, it, but the way it changed our business is, I mean, there's more cop again, the competition is out there and, uh, we, 
we have to even more show that what we're providing is at a higher level maybe than anything else. And we always want to be thought of as, as doing, you know, it's like anything else you want to be the best at what you're doing. Right. So that's, that's our, that's our challenge. And um, in some, in, in a lot of ways, it's a lot harder than it used to be for, frankly, because there's more people doing it. Well, it is very helpful for what I do because I'm uh, one of the things I like about you guys, Jim Sumner, the Duke football talk section 17 guys is you guys are there every day and I'm, I can hear stuff from people I may know or have connections with at the program, but I'm not there to either talk to the, to people during press conferences. I'm not there to um, see a lot of the practices because I'm three hours away, but it is helpful, very, very helpful to read everything that you guys put out there because you all are a lot closer and it makes us more informed. Not saying that people shouldn't go to my site. I'm just saying you should also read Steve's work and you should read the guys who are there. Uh, you know, Jim Sumner has got a really good sub stack out there uh, mm -hmm. for you folks to read. And it, it really does make you a lot more informed and gives you kind of that, that pulse of the team uh, in, in a way that well, and we'll get into this later, but maybe you couldn't get the last couple of years because it was a lot more buttoned down. So that's it, my plug for you guys, at least. Well, I appreciate that. And yeah, and, and it was, it was buttoned down. I mean, obviously the, the pandemic, you know, made that happen. And, you know, with what was going on with the program, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of uh, people wanting to talk about what was going on because it was so bad, right? <laughs> the product on the field was so, was so substandard. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been good. Now, I mean, I'm not going to, you know, David Cutcliffe was, was enjoyable to work with from my point of view. I don't want to, I don't want to uh, push him aside by any stretch. I mean, he did a lot of great things at Duke. I don't think anybody can argue with that. Uh, and uh, he was a you know a good person to, to work with and in, in, in that relationship between a beat writer and a head coach, but, but Mike Elko has brought in a, you know, just a, the proverbial breath of fresh air that the, 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 the change this program needed was just kind of desperate for uh, after the last couple of years, but it really, you know, kind of swirled, swirled downward. Well, talk a little bit about, and I'm going to, we, we are, I promise going to talk more about Duke football. Uh, I hate to segue away from that, uh, but tell us a little bit about the podcast you're doing, how it got started and where we can find it. I've listened to a fair amount of it. I enjoy it. It's interesting to hear the guys you have on, you've had Emil Jefferson on, and of course you got Sheldon Williams there. Talk, just yeah. talk to us a little bit about that. No, that's good. Thank you for bringing that up. In fact, we're getting ready to, to kind of get that going again on a regular basis here. Uh, now that the, you know, we're rolling back into basketball season. It's more of a, it's obviously a basketball centric uh, podcast uh, for the believe network. And uh, with Sheldon being my co-host, obviously we're going to talk a lot, you know, great basketball with he such he's one of the, his jerseys in the rafters. So it was great when, when I was approached for this project uh, and to work with Sheldon uh, it was something I didn't hesitate to do uh, to, to give him, you know, he, he knows so many things about the program and about the history and about, you know, playing, you know, playing for coach K for all those years and, and being in knowing what Duke players go through. And uh, I'm somebody who travels to every game they play in basketball and watches every game. And I'm around the players on a daily basis and the coaches. And so I kind of know what's going on, like you mentioned earlier on the, on the every day with the pulse of the program. And so he and I can kind of bounce those things off each other. I can say, Hey, here's what I saw here. He watched, he might, he comes to some games, watches some on TV, of course, but um, I think we can give people a pretty good uh, perspective on, on what's going on with the team and, and uh, uh, in that manner. And I always enjoy the chance to talk to guys who have played the game and been a part of the program because they tell you what else to look for. Maybe the kind of the subtle things to observe, to watch things that you wouldn't be uh, necessarily keen to pick up had it not been for that experience. Have you noticed that? Has that changed kind of how you watch games, how you observe games, just being around someone who was as dominant as uh, Sheldon Williams was? Absolutely. In fact, you know, what last year, the season that Mark Williams had at center, uh, of course, you know, Sheldon was a defensive force, <laughs> uh, the landlord, right? So uh, in, in the paint and uh, just talking to him on a regular basis and breaking down how Mark was playing, how Mark started the first of the year and how he improved or how he did different things and how he changed from his freshman year to his sophomore year, you know, really gave me a lot of insight, you know, from somebody who's an expert in that area. Uh, and what is asked of Duke centers and, and what they do on defense and the communication they have to do and the movement and 
uh, all that. Uh, yeah, so that that did change the way I kind of watched the game too. Well, let's uh, switch gears to Duke football then. Not a great segue. I apologize for that. I was not a journalism major. I'll work on it. I'll get better. <laughs> Duke football, huh? Four and one. Uh, already more wins than either of the last two years. If they happen to beat Georgia Tech this Saturday, uh, they will have matched the win total over the last two years combined. And we're not even to, uh, you know, uh, the first basketball game. So <laughs> that's that's quite a job. And, you know, a lot of people have me on the offseason talking about Elko and, you know, what could be expected of this year's team. And I was very conservative with thinking, you know, if they can win four games and be competitive, that would be a heck of a start because they weren't that the last two years. They got blown out. Of, you know, everybody here knows what I'm talking about. They were very lopsided games. Uh, and a lot of games in second, it was over at halftime. So I thought they needed to kind of walk before they could run. And I knew how poorly the team played the last couple of years. Um, I didn't think they would be as much better. And, and they are, I've been proven wrong by that. I was, I underestimated the impact that the new staff w- could have. And they're, um, they're playing you know, just, they play smart football now. And, and that makes a big difference. Uh, they don't, they don't beat themselves with, a lot of penalties or, um, or turnovers, especially. I know we're talking about that a lot, but turnovers is the main thing. Um, there's still some problems. I mean, this isn't, you know, a team that can challenge for the ACC championship. I don't think uh, they play Clemson or something like that. It'll be hard, but but they've made a lot of progress uh, to where, you know, a bowl game is is a is a reality. It's it's a realistic thing they could shoot for now. They only need to win two more games, and uh, I don't think. I mean, I know I didn't think at the start of the year. I don't think a lot of people did. There were a couple of people, myself not included, that projected a bowl game. But to your point, they were not good, and that's a kind way to put it, the last two and a half uh, seasons. And the degree of the change is shocking as a guy who – I grew up watching this team. I mean, I have memories of watching them for about 30 years. To see them this much better overnight is really – kind of surprising and I'm just curious where do you think that that's coming from is it just the coaching staff is it strength and conditioning is it these guys got tired of losing and not just losing but really losing badly yeah they they really got I mean let's face it embarrassed a lot of games right and I remember at the end of last year and I'll get to your question but I remember at the end of last year you know as it looked like Cutcliffe might be in trouble because for a long time we didn't think he would be because he kind of had a lifetime contract it seemed and uh you know, even asking them in some of those games in November, like the Louisville game was 62 to something, 22. And I'm sorry, but uh, but they didn't seem, even I asked them, hey, do you feel like you need to do a little better for this coaching staff? And I kind of got, no, we're going to be fine. There wasn't any spark or passion. It was just kind of, we're going to get through this. It's going to be okay. And uh, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't okay. And the new staff came in and there's different expectations. There's uh uh, the first thing he did was was hire strength coach David Feely from Miami uh, to come in here, and uh, and the, the main thing I mean this staff has a lot of guys that have been at at high levels of college football, and, I, and there's a lot of jokes about Miami not being a high level college football, but they they you know the U invest in football anyway. But um, Elko was at Texas A and M, uh, Notre Dame before that, um, so uh, these guys. Uh, uh, you know, Rob Smith, defense coordinator, you know, worked in the big 10. Uh, so it's just a modern modernization of what was going on that they came directly from those places that brought it all to Duke. And, you know, uh, I've used this word before there was, it was lethargic. It was a lethargic program over the last two years that needed, you know, a real change in, in the message. And, for whatever reason, and it's a lot of the same players, right, that, that are playing this year that, that weren't very good last year, and they're they're hearing what the staff is saying. And also, and one more thing on uh, on this is, over the last few years of the Cutcliffe regime, he would lose a lot of veteran coaches and replace them with, promote from within, maybe a GA or somebody. And uh, I think there was some brain drain that went on there. Uh, and so... Uh, you know, those guys were all good guys. They all, they worked hard and nobody, you know, they, they did what they could do. And I, we all kept thinking, well, Cutcliffe's done this before he, 
took him to the coastal division championship and then had a losing season in 16 and then 17, 18, they were back in bowl games again. So he'll turn it around. He knows what he's doing. And I kind of fell into that trap too. And I think maybe the staff did and they didn't really bring new, fresh ideas that this, this new staff has done. And so it's really a dramatic difference for sure. Well, it's funny what you said uh, about what had gone on towards the end felt like you were uh, quoting verbatim from uh, all of my posts uh, <laughs> last season in particular. Um, I'm going to detour a little bit and then come back to something else. I remember I wrote a piece. Uh, after, I can't remember which game it was after, but I said, look, it's time to move on from cut. We, we've got to cut the cord. we got to move on. And one of the things that I mentioned there was lack of energy. And then at the press conference that week, I think Lauren Brownlow asked him a question about that, cut Cliff a question about the lack of energy. He got kind of hot under the collar about it. Yeah. Um, do, do you have any information about how that came about and why that question got asked and Cutcliffe's reaction to it? Yeah, because it, it it spoke to, you know, the 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 energy the staff was bringing to the team. That he thought that that was being questioned, like, and and it should have been. You know, at the time, it you know it it turned out to be true, didn't it? Uh, it's kind of vindicated all these thoughts, but, um, you know, he hadn't he hadn't been questioned a whole lot during his tenure because uh, you know, early on he was trying to build from nothing. Right. And then they got him winning and Hey, this is fantastic. And then uh, you know, they again, kept going to bowl games. And then the last couple of years it started you know, again, everybody kept thinking, well, you know, Daniel Jones moved on Quentin Harris would be the good quarterback, you know, and that turned out to not be true. Chase Price came in and it was a disaster for Duke. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I think my understanding of that is, is that that's what it was. It was a, you know, you're, you're, and, and he was, you know, 67 years old at the time. Right. So that didn't like being questioned that he couldn't bring the same level of energy he could when he was 47, but uh, that's kind of, that was kind of the root of that. Well, um, it's nice to know that I made an impact, I guess, in some respect. But I do want to say this, though, about Coach Cutcliffe, because I say it every time. I appreciate everything he did at the program. And I, as a fan who does this for free, I mean, I'm, I'm, I lose a lot of money on what I do every year but for Bull City coordinators. But I appreciate everything that he did. It just got to a point where he wasn't getting the job done. He wasn't bringing in the people who – could do the things that were necessary to develop the talent that was there. And you mentioned Chase Bryce, boy, he looks like a different quarterback somewhere else. And you yeah. know, Jake Bobo is lighting it up out at UCLA. Uh, and there's been a lot of other transfers who have left. Um, it was time for a change, but I, I think you can make that point and say, thank you for all you, you did, but it's, it's time to go in a different direction. And speaking of di different direction, You've talked about how sharp this new staff is. And we will get to the UVA and Georgia Tech games, I promise. I'm just having a, a good conversation here with you, Steve, and I just want to keep it going uh, kind of organically and just let yeah. it flow. Uh, do you think that there's anybody who's going to get targeted by another school at the end of the season? Because I'm, I'm worried about Coach Johns and having a repeat of what we saw as Duke fans the, after the first year of the Goldsmith era where uh, Craig Bowl and Mike Heimerdinger are immediately hired away and Goldsmith never really recovered. I don't think – I'm not saying Elko would have that same problem, but when you lose two key coordinators, it's sometimes really hard to replace them. It's true. It's always, always going to be a fear um, of it happening because, you know, uh, Duke's paying the coaches now more than they've paid them ever but there's more money other, other places <laughs> and being a head coach is being a head coach. Right. So uh, it, it uh, if somebody wants to go off and be a head coach, that's going to happen. And you really can't, and you wouldn't want to stop it. If somebody wants to go be a head coach, you got to encourage them to go. And so uh, the two guys you mentioned went on to great careers, you know, Heimer Dinger and Bowles after they left uh, uh, Duke. So um, yeah, it, it could happen, but, but I think knowing what I know about Elko now, he's in better position to fill those jobs with quality people than as it turned out, Fred Goldsmith was, you know, 30 years ago. Right. So uh, it's, it's, it's a, you know, legitimate concern. Um, but uh, um, you know, it's something that I think, I think they're in, they're in a better 
place to be able to handle something like that. And that would be, if it happens, it'd be a great thing. Cause that means Duke would have won and won big, you know, to be able to, to for that to happen. Yeah. I think the Goldsmith era, a lot of that era was the Duke athletic department was still using eight track tapes and <laughs> not realize that everybody else had moved on to CDs is kind of how I've pictured that in my head, especially if you read, you know, a lot of the stuff that people have said about it back then compared to now. But let's let's talk a little bit about the last uh, the last game, the UVA game. Uh, I was there. Uh, it was a lot of fun to be back. I was there with family and friends. We sat through it. And here here's what I thought about the game. It wasn't like Duke did anything particularly great. They just physically were more imposing and hungrier and angrier. You know, you saw the thing with the O-line, uh, the player on the O-line in the first quarter, I think, got furious at the UVA player for the hands-of-the-face penalty. And, yeah, I mean, he was fired up. And I was talking to a buddy of mine who was a Virginia Tech fan, came to root against UVA. <laughs> and he said, I've never seen Duke be more dominant on the line in the last couple of years, both lines. What that was my thought about the game. I'm yeah. not saying that the guys did things poorly. I just thought it was if it was just kind of maybe it was the weather, not a great offensive performance, but it was just we're not going to out scheme you. We're not going to out necessarily smart you. We're just going to impose our will upon you. Was kind of what I thought watching that game. And that hasn't happened for a Duke football team in a long, long time. I mean. I think back, there was a game in 2013, you'll probably remember this, when they, they beat Miami at home. And I think they rushed for, I don't know, 300 and something. It was some incredible number. It was near the end of the season when they looked like they were going to be able to win the Coastal. And, I mean, I know they've done it a couple of times since then, but that's the one that jumps out to me that compares to this one, where, you know, you're playing a conference opponent that, that you know, normally recruits pretty well. Uh, and, and Duke, you know, of all people, right. Uh, imposes their physical dominance on somebody else on both sides of the ball. Like you mentioned, not, not offensive line, but defense too, uh, with a lot of the, but, you know, they batted down five passes. The defensive lineman did on Armstrong and uh, we know how much they, you know, how much the running game did the weather played a role in that because they knew they were going to have to, you know, the, the passing game was going to be a little dicey with it being wet and rainy. So they planned on. We're gonna they're running. We're gonna establish the run and and, and go with it. And uh, but boy, they were they were really strong. And and they were they, they they were angry. They played angry. I know that some of the comments that Tony Elliott made during the week about you know I picked Virginia over Duke um, uh, resonated in the Duke locker room. I'll put it that way. It uh, it meant something to them that. Uh, they would never say it on the record. Of course, they're going to try to take it a higher road, but I know that that's something that, uh, that may have fed into that hunger and you hope they can obviously replicate it in other games when that isn't the case where <laughs> it's an outside factor, but, but uh, uh, they, they, and then in the fourth quarter, that seven minute drive that led to a field goal uh, was really the one, and you could tell by the way they talked about it after the game. Elko talked about it. He said it was an attitude drive, right? It was attitude, and uh, and uh, uh, Riley Leonard said the same thing that Virginia likes to put an extra hat in the box, and, and they're going to stop the run. Well, you know, damn it, we're going to go out there and we're we're going to run it, and they're not going to be able to stop us. And that's exactly what happened. So that that's just a tremendous uh, credit to the the players and the staff for getting them ready and getting them, putting them in a position to be able to do that. Well, and to your point about how they just said, we're going to show you what we can do. Duke ran the ball 48 times for 248 yards, lost 12 of those on a bad snap, which continues to be an issue. We can talk about that a little bit later. I thought there were two bad snaps in the game on a late extra point too. Mm -hmm. Uh, My dad uh, said he thought he saw some others on TV uh, and we can get to third down or as I call it critical down defense later, because mm. I'm about to have a heart attack over that mm-hmm. stuff. But, you know, the passing game wasn't particularly great. Now, some of those were because they, they went with short passes. I mean, 18 to 24 for a buck 29, 5.4 yards per, per catch, you know, an 85.2 quarterback rating. You're not going to look at that and really want to write home to mom about it. But, you know, again, 
they're you got two defenders wrestling a ball away from each other at the very end of the game in the fourth quarter to see who gets credit for the interception. I mean, and this UVA team had really beaten Duke badly the last, what, seven years? I mean, yes. really badly. And they shut Brennan Armstrong down. They hold the running game to 93 yards on 25 attempts, 3.7 yards a carry. I mean, this was a really – really good game that sets a tone for the rest of the ACC season, right? They just, they shoved him around. They shoved him up and down the field. And uh, yeah, I mean that I was in uh, Scott stadium last year in Charlottesville it was 48 to nothing. And it wasn't that close. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, uh, Virginia was that much better. And um, so, you know, this is a 21 point win. That's a 69 point turnaround in one year from two, you know, two, a lot of the same players, but just different staffs running them. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was sure something else. And and uh, you know, it was amazing in some ways that you know Duke was favored in the game by what two or three points going into it, I think. And after losing forty eight to nothing the year before, that seemed like a lot a lot of switch. But but uh, you know, Virginia just they're not comfortable on offense. I know we'll talk about more about Duke, but just to say that last year, Brennan Armstrong was in rhythm a lot. I mean, his guys, he put the ball, he, you know, he kind of had free reign to do what he wanted to do. And he's just not comfortable in this, whatever Elliot's having them do that's different. It's not, it doesn't fit him. They have the whole offseason to get it done. The off, their offensive line isn't very good. That's, that's one thing they have to have trouble there, but it's not like Armstrong's getting hit on every play. Even before the Duke game, he wasn't getting sacked on every play or pressured. He just, it's almost like happy feet a little bit. He's, he's just not putting the ball right where it needs to be. Or if he does, sometimes the guys drop it. It's the same great receivers they had last year. So uh, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to see how they play. And, you know, I, I don't see them. I don't know how they can fix it during the year. I think they're, they're in for a long year up there and trying to get this adjustment to, to Elliot. And I want to ask you a little bit about that, two, uh, two, maybe three points. Was there any truth to what Elliot was saying about him choosing UVA over Duke? And one, even if that is the case, why in the world would you say that right before you play the Blue Devils? I mean, football, like any sport, is about is about uh, energy. It's about motivation. If It's about swings and you know, locker room, bulletin board material. I mean, we could talk about Duke disrespecting UNC and basketball and probably why they lost the last two games against them for the season. Yeah. I'm not going to, cause I don't have any alcohol with me right now to relive it, but <laughs> I mean, what was Elliot thinking? And then his comments after the game about, I'm sorry, Brennan, I, I need to get these guys to believe more in what, in, in, in our system so we can be better for you basically. I mean, what, what is going on? Yeah, and I think he said, you know, Duke didn't do anything special. You know, we beat ourselves kind of thing. And it goes back to what you said earlier. No, Duke didn't do anything special. They just ran the ball down your throat. I mean, that's that's the key. That's but you got to stop it. So anyway, but um, so back to your original point about the truth or all that. Well, I mean, Elliot was heavily involved in this search. There's no question about that. When you know Art Chase and Nina King went to visit him down there at his house. Uh, the Sunday before they hired Elko was hired on the following Friday. So uh, he was definitely, you know, at the end here in, in the final grouping of, of the candidates for this job. And uh, I got the feeling that had he said, you know, this is the one I want. I want, I want to go to Duke. I think it may, they may have made a decision on him earlier. Um, just knowing how much they, I know they, and they liked him. They liked him as a candidate, but Elko, I, I don't want, it, it wasn't like there was a huge gap between Elko and Elliot. They liked Elko just as much. And so when Elliot started, you know, he was always involved with Virginia, but there was a time there where he, maybe he wasn't their prime candidate and their search. And, uh, I, it looked like it, you know, I thought he might be coming to Duke and then, uh, you know, he started getting more involved with Virginia and Duke was like, okay, well, we like Elko. Well, it wasn't like they were settling. They liked him just as much. So it was, a, it was a good bet thing for Duke. Was there ever a formal offer? No, no, uh, not to my knowledge. 
but he was again he was so involved and you know there's some of that semantics right like like did you know was there ever a formal like contract offer here you know here it is but there's talking like hey if you come here this is so much you'll make you know that kind of thing so he he you know it, we all go through that in all our lives with job opportunities and things like that um i did talk to some reporters in virginia who were at the press conference elliot had last week leading into the duke thing and because at one point he said hey you know i would have wanted to hire elko as my defensive coordinator here at virginia which he was never going to take that job from AM. it would have been a pay cut first of all uh if he would have if he's going to stay at dc he would have stayed at AM. and um and, and some of these reporters said they felt, got the feeling that Elliot, when he said the thing about picking Virginia over Duke, he was trying to talk up Virginia. He was trying to say, I think you guys are really good. You have a big future. You have a past. You have some history in football. And then he never, he never real surprising. He never realized that would be taken wrong by Duke people. He never put that together. And, you know, that's his, that's his fault. He didn't see that. And so then he tried to make up for it by saying, Hey, Elko is so good. I want to hire him as my defensive coordinator, trying to pump up and say nice things about Elko. And then that kind of backfired because that's kind of a slap. Why would he, why would he want to do that? <laughs> you know, he's, he was better than that job when he was at Wake Forest and Notre Dame before he went to AM, it was better you know, being Virginia's defensive coordinator. So anyway, uh, that's some of the background of it that I understand. And uh, anyway, uh, you know, uh, Duke's doing their own thing and they're, they're a lot better than they were last year. But, uh, you know, that was a very – I know that was a very satisfying win, and especially the way it went down. Especially making that comment about how UVA had more tradition than Duke. I thought that that was just – I don't want to say amateur hour, but uh, it, it was not the kind of comment you need to make going up against them uh, right. the following week. Especially, it's not like UVA's looked good at all this season. No. Um, and he originally said that last year when he when he was at his introduction and all that stuff like hey virginia's got you know they had 1990 they were number one in the country for a while you know like you know they've, they've got some some you know some football i mean you can you can quantify that you could say virginia's been better at duke in football over time right over the last 50 years you could say that but but um you can make the argument anyway but uh but yeah to bring it up again even some of the reporters i talked to were surprised that he brought that up again in the week leading up to the game like that that, that was probably a a poor choice on his, you know, by him. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, poor coaching jobs, Duke is facing a school that got rid of a guy who was not doing very well in Jeff Collins. Uh, and uh, Georgia Tech now has an interim coach, and you got a lot of coaches uh, doing everything they can to keep jobs or get new jobs, and a lot of players who look like they sure are glad to have someone else at the helm. And they go out and beat Pitt. So, mm-hmm a game that I felt pretty confident about the Blue Devils winning, I am now looking at as if I don't really know what to uh, what to make of what's going to happen uh, this week. So give us your thoughts on what we should expect from the Yellow Jackets and from the Blue Devils. They played spirited football at Pitt. And, and again, just like you, I was at the Duke game. That was going on the exact same time. So, but we had the TV on in the press box, you know, we had a bunch of games out there and we got every once in a while I peek over there and see, and like, it was like six, seven to six, nine to seven. I thought, when is Pitt going to score these couple touchdowns and win this game? Like, you know, they're at home. This isn't supposed to happen. But uh, George Tech ran the ball well, uh, which is usually hard to do against Pitt. So they, they played inspired football. They, they, you're right. They, they, the weight was lifted. They were free. They were, they, they, obviously didn't enjoy playing for Jeff Collins <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he's taking his $12 million and, and sitting happy with that thought, whatever he, he got the pay, buyout and that's good for him. But uh, yeah, the uh, Brent key, their interim coach did a tremendous job. And uh, you know, at the press conference with Elko uh, uh, this week on, on, earlier on Monday here, uh, he, you know, he said, you know, he, he could see that in the way they played and, uh, it's, it's a lot of, the, it's obviously the same players from under Collins and one of the assistants is running things. So they're not drastically changing their schemes. You can't do that in the middle of the year, but you know, they're f- emphasizing one thing over another, maybe that, that Collins didn't. And, and again, it's all about uh, emotion. Football is a game of emotion sometimes. Cause, uh, the idea is like we said, Duke and Virginia, the other team might know what you're running and you, you know, they know it. 
your job is to run it anyway and be successful with it. And it doesn't matter if they're ready to stop it or not. You got to sometimes you got to run them over. And and Georgia Tech did some of that to Pitt, which is a, a real shock. And so, as as to what I expect this week, that you know this will be their first home game since the coaching change, uh, and so they're going to be uh, you know loving that in front of their home crowd with some some momentum going here. Um, Duke, I still I think they're still favored. I I think you know at this point uh, the way Duke's played. They should win the game. Uh, they just—it's uh, all about turnovers and 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 you know keep continuing to protect the ball as well as they have, and that—that's what hurt um, Pitt last week was turnovers uh, against Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech did a good job forcing them. So you know, Duke's going to have to be good uh, on that front. To your point about them about. Duke needing to take care of the football. Jeff Collins seems to have accumulated some level of talent there over the years. He may not have gotten a lot out of it. And last year, uh, Georgia Tech won a close one. I kind of think of it as Duke lost a close one uh, based on some decisions right at the end of the game defensively. But uh, what should we expect as far as closeness of the game? I don't really get the sense this is going to be a runaway blowout, but the way the Blue Devils start each half, maybe that's possible. Yeah, again, if they can, uh, they they've started very quickly every game except Kansas, right? That's only that's the only game this year they've even trailed was Kansas. Uh, so they've done a good job of when they get a lead, you know, they keep it. And I know Northwestern came down to the very you know one yard away from not keeping it, but but they kept it. Uh, they they know how to. Uh, Elko said it, game control. They know how to control a game. When they get a lead, they control it and uh, and do that. So if, if they can jump out, again, you, you know, you got a team here that is in some turmoil because of what happened. And that's what I kept thinking about Pittsburgh last week. If they would have gotten the lead, I think they would have, you know, they would have been able to hold them off because uh, that, that's the top of season George Tech's had. So if Duke can do that, if they can jump out, you know, 10, 14, whatever, 14 point lead, like they have in most of the games this year they'll take the crowd out of it. And, uh, you know, I think they can, they can keep them down. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's easier said than done, but I mean, that's kind of what they've done in most of the games this year. Hey guys, it's future, future Ben. As we started last week for the Virginia game, we are continuing with a guest picker for the score and winner of the Duke Georgia tech game. This week we have Jamie from the Duke football talk section 17 podcast. He is taking the Blue Devils by a score of 34 to 14 over the Yellow Jackets. Thank you, Jamie, for participating, and big shout out to all of the Section 17 guys for all of their work on Duke football and all the great content that they put out. Please go visit their website, dukefootballtalk.com. Check them out on Twitter at Duke F as in Foxtrot, B as in Bravo, talk, Duke FB talk. Thanks a lot to you guys, and thanks for Jamie for being our second guest picker of the season. I'm going to take Duke 31-17 to in that one, and I think Vegas had it. I pulled it up currently as a 3.5 favorite. I'm terrible at betting, so don't take advice on anybody. Uh, A buddy of mine once kept asking me for overs and unders. I don't know how much money I lost him. I'm sorry. Over under is 55. That seems like that's going to be hard to get over on with tech on the other side. That's a big number. Yeah. That is a big number. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be more like the, the, what you said. Maybe Duke can be in the 30s. Uh, you know, Duke's – I mean, we, we've talked about some of the issues Duke has on defense. They're not, they've not been stellar. I mean, they've had, they've had some moments, some good moments third down conversions. One of the things, the big problem, um, you know, Kansas, there was a lot of penalties on the defense uh, in Northwestern too, getting grabby and pass coverage. Uh, so there's going to be opportunities there for George tech to score. I think, uh, I think we say that, but even last week they didn't score a lot to win that game. Uh, that was, you know, that was a low, very low scoring game by college football standards, modern day of college football. So yeah, I don't, I don't see, I don't see Georgia Tech getting to 30 points uh, by Duke. Duke can get to 30. They're going to win this game. I think you're 
100% correct on that. But let's talk about the rest of the season. And you talk about Duke not being particularly great on defense. Depth is always an issue, especially with all the people they lost in the transfer portal last season. Um, it could become more of a problem as they go on, although the staff does seem to utilize its bench pretty well and in good situations, and particularly when you see guys like Cam Dillon starting to come along and make plays. Uh, and there's a lot others. I'm not leaving anybody out. Uh, but there is a small game against Chapel Hill College after Georgia Tech, uh, <laughs> followed by Miami, BC, Virginia Tech, Pitt, and Wake. Why don't you just take us through broad strokes, 30,000-foot view? What should we expect over setting aside Georgia Tech? Because the Blue Devils are not going to look ahead. But after that but game. we can. Right, we can do it. <laughs> we can and we will. We're not on the team. We don't have to. Uh, what what do you think? I mean, I, I'll just tell you, I think Wake's going to win at the end of the season. Yeah. Uh, I I would love to see the other the other the other side of that coin happen. But what do you think about those uh, those remaining games? Yeah, I, you know, I kind of look at it as you know, is Duke likely to win or likely to lose, and kind of that way. So uh, I think you can you know now different from the start of the year. Um, Virginia Tech is a likely Duke win now, given the way they're playing. Uh, Boston College is a likely Duke win. Um, you know, if they can take care of Georgia Tech, then that gives you seven wins, right? You're going to a, a decent little bowl at that point. Uh, even if you lose, you know, to Wake, I mean, Pitt, Pitt's on the road. I, I, you know, they had a game last year. They lost to Western Michigan, right? And then I'm talking about Pitt. And then they won the ACC. So, they have a game every year where they just kind of trip over themselves. Maybe this, maybe that's what the Georgia Tech game was. I don't know. I think they're better than that. So I have a hard time projecting that as a as a Duke win at this point today. Uh, but it's you know that's uh, Carolina is going to be going to be a toss up. I mean Drake Bay is really good, really good, and I think that's going to be hard for Duke to stop. But Carolina's got a lot of trouble on defense too. I know they just shut down Virginia Tech, but that's Virginia Tech, and they're not they're not very good. So that's we talk about point spreads that's going to be an over game that's going to be like you know like both teams could be in the 40s in that carolina duke game so take the 100 um, if it's yeah. a, if it's over under 100 take the 100 right on and miami you know uh, you never know what you get with my you'd rather play miami later in the year because they usually you know they've kind of run out, run out of steam they're better early in the year because they're all full of themselves and everything and um <laughs> we'll see what happens uh, you, uh, you're not supposed to laugh as the host, uh, but you're you're making it hard for me right there. Uh, fortunately, they had a bye week, so they didn't get to follow up on their two straight losses. Um, I mean, you know, this is not a Miami podcast, but I have been adamant that getting rid of Manny Diaz may have been a mistake because they were real close to 10 wins last year. Yeah, I say that a lot, and I'm, I've talked about it before. It, this team does not look as good as what we saw last season at this point, I think, for Manny Diaz. I mean, I, I just I, – I, I, when the hire got made, I said, look, everybody likes Cristobal, but if he struggles, he could get in trouble fast because if you look at – when you make a coaching change, you have to look at trends. Is the program trending up? Is it trending down? I think that's what Duke did wrong with Goldsmith when they got rid of him because he had a lot of close losses his last season. And then we went into a period that just – I don't think we played football for a little while. I don't I don't remember it. I don't right. remember what happened real well. I'm just going to assume there were no teams. But he could be running himself into to a little bit of trouble, I think. Yeah, because there's – I mean, they lead the league in expectations every year. So they – um uh, they they were they were pretty good, right? And they thought we're gonna we're gonna go for great. We're gonna hire you know Oregon's coach is gonna come here, you know, an alum and all that stuff, and and we're gonna throw all this money in the program and nil money and and all that. And uh, uh, boy, they they just don't. <laughs> Tyler Van Dyke. We talked about Brendan Armstrong not being the quarterback he was last year. Tyler Van Dyke isn't the quarterback he was last year. And every week now, uh, you know the weekly press conference with Cristobal before a game is like, yeah, he's still our quarterback. You know, they, that's where we are with him. And that shouldn't be given how good he was last year as a freshman. Uh, he's regressed. And just as we give the Duke staff credit for the improvement that's going on here, 
you have to look at the staff and say, what did you, how did you break Tyler Van Dyke? What did you do? And uh, again, I don't know if they can fix that during the season or not. It, it seems unlikely that you can have a, a draft, you know, drastic turnaround to get that fixed. So uh, they gave up, you know, middle Tennessee ran them off their home field, which is, should not happen <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, at all. The 2000 Miami fans must've been really disappointed. Uh, but looking at the, at the rest of their schedule, I wouldn't say North Carolina is a guaranteed win for Miami, the way North Carolina can score. I mean, no. I, and Virginia tech is a, is a likely Miami win Duke. I think Duke could beat Miami. Sure. I, I don't think that would surprise anybody. I like the way this team is playing. And I know guys, I've been very much of a dour realist. I really do like the way you guys are playing. I just, uh, it's hard for me to ever be optimistic <laughs> after what I've grown up on. I mean, to go back to what we saw against Virginia, you know, Virginia had a lot of dumb penalties on that first drive that led to the touchdown and Duke capitalized on them. There were times yep. where it wouldn't have mattered or Duke would have settled for a field goal. This team just feels a little different. And I don't, I think Duke certainly can beat Miami. Uh, Miami ought to beat Virginia, but I think Florida state has the edge over, over Miami. Uh, yes. I think Miami ought to beat Georgia tech, but I don't see the last two games of the season for the hurricanes or Clemson and Pittsburgh. I think they come out of that with two losses. Right. And so that's, that's not a coastal. That's not a team that's going to win the coastal. There's any doubt about that at this point. And they not, were picked not by a lot of people. Season. Right. Maybe, maybe a different season, but not this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you know, a lot of people, you know, bought into the U is back hype when the year started. And uh, that's happened a lot in this league and they only delivered one coastal division championship. So uh, that seems like a fool's errand. Well, I think, I think you're right. And I think Miami is one of those teams that's got to go out and prove it. Now watch him put this interview on the bulletin board. And then we have to apologize <laughs> to everybody. Sorry guys. Uh, but you I mean, shouldn't have lost to middle Tennessee. And we wouldn't be saying this, but they, you know, <laughs> hey you know what when you when you go in you go steve weissman you go all the way right you just <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no um let, let's just look at the at the remaining schedule georgia tech if duke wins that they're at five if they beat north carolina which like you said is a toss-up i think we have to be i mean it's a rivalry game with meaning but yeah. if if duke wins they're at six and this, I don't think this is the kind of Duke team that's going to let up after six wins. I think they're going to keep the foot on the gas and keep going. They could beat Miami. That's seven. BC, Virginia Tech, that's potentially nine wins. Now, do I think they get to nine wins? I'd love it. I'm not going to put money on it. Right. But as you and I sit here today, is that outside the realm of possibility? Uh, it's not. I mean, those are not. Those are not any game that that Duke's going to go in there and be a ten point underdog or something like that where. Or multi, like last year, when a lot of games were the point spread was seventeen or eighteen points, and I think those days are gone. You know, uh, for this year anyway, I think they've they've proven that they can be competitive against just about anybody. Uh, you know, obviously Wake at the end wakes makes really good, uh, so that that that's one they might be uh, an underdog quite a bit. But before then, the rest of the games you're talking about, they're gonna they're gonna have a chance. Now, it, you mentioned one thing you mentioned earlier was uh, depth and the defense and uh, you know, Anthony Nelson, who's played really well as a transfer from Harvard uh, is going to be out for at least a couple of weeks now with a, uh, he was in a boot. So it's a lower body kind of ankle or foot type of thing going on with him. He was carted off. He didn't play the second half against Virginia. Uh, Trey Freeman, the linebacker who started against Virginia because Dorian Mossy was out. Trey Freeman has a lower body. He's going to be out for a few weeks with that. Neither one of those are season ending, but but we're starting to chip away at the depth, right? You're starting to lose some pretty some guys that, that were a factor. Nelson had really surprised. He'd really had been kind of a, a force as a as a reserve defensive lineman in that rotation, but he'd done some things. So that's a that's a that's a loss. That's a tough one. And uh I think Dorian Marcy's gonna be back this week, but he's been kind of in and out of the lineup. You know, he um he's been limited with an ankle there too. So uh you know, Cam Dillon has played well, but there are things, you know, he played in the Ivy League last year. So he, and again, he, he's, he's played well, but there's some limitations to what he can do as compared to Dorian Mossy. So um, they, they need to get him back. But, uh, uh, you know, last week we saw Jordan Moore come off the bench, not start because he, 
he got banged up against uh, Kansas a little bit. So they have to keep him healthy. But so some of this is going to factor in. We're talking about projecting forward in the season. Uh, they've been pretty fortunate with injuries, right, right for the most part. And uh, they that needs to stay the same. I, I knocked on wood there. If you, could I did too. Yeah, <laughs> reached well, over there for you. Are we going to see Rocky Shelton play some more? Because I think he was a guy we all expected to come back and make an impact. But the guys last year who, frankly, struggled uh, have really turned a corner this season. Yeah, I mean Hayward's playing. Hayward's playing really well, uh, which we knew he we thought he would, but he's even better. Last week was his best game of the year against Virginia. So uh, Shelton is out there. He you know he he was working a lot with third team mostly in preseason camp. Little bit with second team, he plays special teams. So he's somebody who could who could you know fly in there and and, and have a chance. It's, you know, if injuries keep happening, somebody's got to move up, and then that would be him. Uh, but Cam Dillon is somebody they trust more right now. And uh, you know, again, this isn't a guy that this staff knows well. They, they he you know, like a lot of the guys, they were all brought in by somebody else, right? They weren't guys that the staff recruited, except for some of the transfers. So um Players have to earn the staff's trust, right? And Cam Dillon is somebody who they trust right now. Well, I I like Dillon a lot. I like what he's doing. I'm just concerned as you were outlining all the other people who were injured, if you know where we're going to see bodies come up. Shelton's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. On, on the D line, who do you think might step up if given an opportunity? Well, I mean, Michael Reese has played some already. He might he might be you know, get extra snaps he wouldn't normally get. They split it between him and Nelson. So you can get Michael Reese in there doing some things. Um, that'd be one thing I would think. And, and, you know, VJ Anthony, although a starter has, you know, hasn't played like a full game. He, they switch him out quite a bit. So, cause he's a freshman, but he's really good. I think he's got, got a hell of a future. So they're, they're getting him in there now, but maybe he's somebody again, who can play more snaps than he has been. Right. You can kind of, you know, uh, well, we lost you there for a minute, Steve. Oh, you got, you still got me now. Yeah. You said, uh, VJ Anthony could do something. They thought he was coming along. Well, yes. Uh, if you can still hear me now, I'm sorry about that. It must've bumped something, but, uh, yeah, he, uh, you know, he'll, maybe he'll play 25 snaps. He'll start, but play 25 snaps a game or 30. Maybe, maybe they can, with Nelson out, maybe he can play an extra five or six snaps, or and Reese could play a little extra, and you can kind of cover that way, because the you know the depth isn't you know once you get beyond the two deep. I mean Duke Duke hasn't been very good lately, so there's a reason, and the depth it's hard it's hard to have a really strong third team uh, at Duke right now. So that's something that this staff obviously plans on beefing up as time goes on. But at this point, uh, you know if they, they have some major injuries there. You, it'd be hard, hard press them to cover up very well. Now, what do you think going forward will be the biggest challenge for coach Elko? I was disappointed at how few people showed up at the game. I know the weather wasn't great, uh, but that's a big game. That's conference game. It's home. You're playing a traditional rival while we still have an Atlantic coast conference uh, that's yeah. in existence. I was disappointed about that, especially with everything they've done on social media to try to get everybody involved more. I got an email about an NFT that I could have bought mm -hmm. during the game. I feel mm -hmm. like they are, the program's doing everything. The bleed blue has been very popular. Uh, what do you think the biggest challenge is going to be for coach Elko going forward? Well, well, that's it is creating an atmosphere at home. And he talked about, he's done a heck of a job engaging the students uh he moved the student body uh, student section behind the visiting bench uh he, you know they've got the jerseys they're wearing now they're getting jerseys for all of them you know with their with their uh, graduating year on 26 25 24 whatever it may be uh and but you know that section was wasn't as full last Saturday as it was previous games and yes it was raining i get it i get it the weather was bad but um you know to have a car out of 15,000 for a uh, an ACC game is just not acceptable. And that it, it, it factors in recruiting. I mean, kids come and they see that and they, you know, that may be the difference between them coming there or going somewhere else. And now you're, you know, Wake Forest is obviously, you know, ahead of Duke as far as where they're playing on the field and they're selling out games on the regular now over there at, at Winston. That didn't used to be the case. 
So, you know, Duke used to recruit against Wake quite a bit. They go after the same type of kids. And, you know, uh, Duke was a better program for a while. Now it's Wake. Now they're selling out their stadium. If somebody comes down to those two, they may pick it for that. And that's, uh, it's important for them to create an atmosphere that's better than this. And I, I don't think it's, I know all the challenges. I've been here 12 years covering this. I know the alumni don't live here. It's a small private school. I get that. I get all that. But even there were some teams when when Cutcliffe had them going to bowl games on a regular basis, they'd have a game early in the season against Northwestern. There'd be like 25,000 people there, maybe over 20,000. And you think they'd be, you know, it, it's just, they've got to engage and they're doing it. They're, they're You mentioned all the things they're doing. They're trying, they're, they're the, the marketing and everything. Chris Alston's marketing guy does a great job, but they've got to, um, uh, you got to get people to come out even on a game like that, when it was, you know, it's kind of raining and nasty. And I know we had a hurricane the day before and all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you just can't have that, that kind of an atmosphere. That, that's, a, that's going to be a serious challenge for Elko. I agree. And it's, a, it's unfortunate. You've got Dukes having its best season in a long time and people are not showing up for it in a night game too. You can come out yeah. hang out in the parking lot and tailgate all day. That's what we did. I mean, we, we drove down from about three, two and a half, three hours away. We, Got there around uh, 2.30, walked around campus for a little bit, and then met up with everybody at 3 and just hung out for several hours. Had a great time. Uh, people have to show up. I mean, and I know the scheduling, the going to the, what is it, the three three five or whatever the arrangement is. Yeah. That should help. Uh, but you also got to find maybe some more regional schools to get on the non-conference schedule that their fans will show up. And that's something that they, it's hard to do because you got to schedule so far in advance, but that's something that they may need to think about too. Yeah. They've, you know, I, uh, from talking to Elko, I mean, he obviously inherited this schedule in the next what five or six, they already got the contracts done. Uh, there's not much you can do about that now, but he, he did, you know, as he, as he builds this program, you know, as, as well as they're playing now, he has obviously designs on even better. He builds it to a different level. There are, type of games they can schedule that maybe he wouldn't want to schedule now. So um, that's one thing that, that, that I know is on his mind. And um, yeah, uh, it's just, it's, it's always been a hard thing to get people to come to games. And, uh, but it, it, you know, if they're winning, especially, uh, I'm sorry, you said about a night game, normally night game crowds are pretty good. I was, I mean, I know it was raining, so I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but normally they, and the Carolina game is going to be at eight o'clock. That'll be a, you know, a great atmosphere because Carolina coming in and everything. Normally your night games that do draw better than the noon or 1230 games. So I was surprised by that. Um, so uh, to get more of those in the future, they, they've got to do a better job taking advantage of it. Well, you mentioned uh, the Carolina game and who will show up. I will go ahead and say I am working on another humor-driven game preview like I did last year. So stay tuned. I think I might make that a tradition. <laughs> a couple other things I want to ask you about. Uh, do you get the sense that Elko is going to be a lifer here at Duke? He seems to be really, really bought in and loving every moment at Duke. I mean, at this point, yes. I mean, uh, he, again, it, you know, it's hard to look too far in the future but but this is you know this is a job he wanted and there's not a lot of people that would say that right that would say i want to go be the head coach at duke i mean it's a tough you know it's a tough for all the reasons we know it's a tough job to, to do and um but he you know ivy league background um uh, so the the academics part doesn't doesn't bother him uh getting you know communicate with the type of kids that can handle this kind of academic load um, he seems, you know, again, uh, if he can get the community, you know, ignited and all that, I mean, if they keep having crowds like last Saturday night, you know, five years down the road, he, uh, he'd have a wondering, I wouldn't blame him, even if they're, if they're winning big. Uh, so it's got, the support's got to be there too, but, but he does, he is bought in. He has no question that he, this is, he's here to win and make and help Duke win. I don't see him as somebody that, you know, if they win seven or eight games this year and, and win a bowl game, that if a power, uh, uh, an SEC team came calling, he would jump immediately. I don't, I don't see him as somebody who would do that. I think he's, he's here to, to build something really strong. And, uh, you know, if five, six, seven years down the road, something else comes along at that point, you can't blame him if, if he would, if he would go, but I, I don't think he's somebody who came here to jump after one or two years or anything. 
Well, that's good to hear, and I'm glad that that's the case. And hopefully, we will keep them for a long time, and we'll start to show up. Uh, we'll start to show up in mass at games and support the team and what uh, is being built there. Uh, two other things I wanted to ask you about: uh, What have you enjoyed the most about your time covering Duke athletics? You know, uh, getting to—I mean, come, get to come to basketball games at Cameron every—it's it's pretty good, uh, pretty good deal. And, uh, and 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 the venues I get to go to in the ACC. And I know I'm talking about basketball now. We're just a football podcast more than anything, but um, I mean, the basketball part of it has been has been wonderful, and even even outside of basketball, just the, the kids that you interact with, the people that you, that I talk to on a regular basis, you know, the coaches or the administrators or, or, you know, athletic directors, uh, that type of thing. Um, it's just, a just a well-run quality environment, uh, to interact with. And I've covered obviously other college programs and that's not always been the case, you know, where you can, uh, you can see what they're doing and, and see their thinking behind it. And, and it's all, it all seems above board and, and, and what they're trying to get done. Uh, so that, that's, that's been a real joy. And, and, and then, you know, obviously getting to go to, you know, cover the ACC, you know, go to the, it's not the carrier dome anymore. You don't know, talk about the, the dome up there, a uh, great basketball venue, you know, Duke and Carolina games and uh, you know, uh, going to Duke and Virginia games up there before Maryland left, going to Maryland, covering Duke and Maryland was an exciting trip. Uh, so um, it's, it's been good. I've been to a couple of final fours. So that's been kind of nice too. Well, uh, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I give everybody an open mic. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Steve? <laughs> um, yeah, no, it just, uh, uh, as we get ready for the transition here, of football and basketball kind of coming together. It's going to be a busy few months here. It always is on the sports calendar. So, um, I, I appreciate uh, all the readers that, that that read my my stories and and uh, you know that's who I write for is people that they're on the other side of reading it. So I appreciate that. Appreciate you having me on uh, to to talk a little bit about my career and what's going on with Duke. Um, you know we're going to have quite a bit of coverage here uh, from a Duke point of view. Uh, you know as 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 this season keeps going and and looks like it's I mean heading to a bowl game. It sure lo- it sure looks like it at this point. So that's going to be an exciting run. We're going to have plenty of coverage of that. And then obviously when basketball gets going, uh, that'll be full speed. Like it was last year for coach case last year, uh, Shire's first team will have you know, copious amounts of coverage from multiple people on our staff going to lots of games, including myself. So yeah, it's getting ready to crank up here. Uh, the, the overlap season, as I call it. And, uh, it's good. I'll sleep. I'll sleep in April. How about that? Well, we're <laughs> looking forward to it. It should be a good time. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, I appreciate all the work that you do. Uh, you add a lot of, uh, as we say in the legal field, you want to add value to the to a file, and you certainly add value to Duke Athletics. Uh, and I appreciate you taking some time on this Monday night to come on. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my dad. Uh, I know you have a lot of uncertainty right now uh, as the treatment plan uh, starts coming together, but I know you'll get through it, and you got a lot of support and everybody on all the platforms who have reached out to me about that in response to the post that I did with the message from my, uh, from, uh, from my kids, dad's grandkids. Uh, I appreciate all you guys, uh, uh, taking the time to listen to that and then reach out. That means a lot to me, but more important, it means a lot to dad and to mom. Uh, and of course I would be remiss if I didn't say this, let's hope Duke beats Georgia tech on Saturday. And as always, Go Duke.